Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of the Personal Finance Show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 151. It's titled, Amazon Impacts Everything. My first purchase on Amazon.com was in 1998. I bought a book for work on asset allocation called Efficient Asset Management. It's by Richard Mitchard. It cost $35 plus $3.95 for shipping. In those days, I bought most of my physical books at bookstores because it was more convenient. And if I couldn't find a book at the bookstore, then I might look at Amazon. But in reality, in those early years of web browsing, Bookstores was where you discovered books as you walk through the aisles. And if it wasn't at Borders or Barnes & Noble, typically, I just didn't know it existed. You didn't have the algorithms and the recommendation engines like we talked about last week. So in 1998, I placed two orders, one in 1999 and none in the year 2000 from Amazon. I know this because you can go to your account on Amazon, just like it went, went to mine, and it lists out everything you have ever purchase, and you can search by by year. So in 2002, I placed my first non-book order with Amazon. It was two video games. It was Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, for it was for N- Nintendo Game Boy. It was a gift for my son, and it was sold by Toys R Us, but delivered by Amazon. In the year 2000, Amazon started handling the logistics and shipping for third-party vendors. Now, Amazon says there are more than 70,000 companies that earn more than $100,000 a year selling through its site. And 49% of the goods it ships, Amazon ships, are from third-party sellers. Now, continuing this history of sort of my experience with Amazon, I found it fascinating. In 2005, Amazon introduced its Prime service in which members got free two-day shipping. I didn't join Prime until 2006, and that year I placed 15 orders with Amazon, including a very heavy and bulky Jiffy clothes steamer, shipped for free, of course. And so once Prime was introduced, I started increasing the number of orders. In the fall of 2007, Amazon introduced the Kindle ebook reader. I didn't hesitate to pre-order it. It was, it was, it was ugly looking, but It seemed revolutionary because I would no longer have to wait two days for a book from Amazon Prime. I could get an electronic edition immediately. And I bought 21 digital books in the fall of 2007. I also bought a lot of physical books in 2007. We lived 30 miles from a bookstore. So ordering books from Amazon was more convenient, especially with free shipping. We placed 54 orders with Amazon in 2007, mostly per books, but I also bought an iron, which we still use, and a piece of luggage, which we still use. In 2009, 
on Black Friday, I bought the largest, most expensive item to date on Amazon. And I still find it unbelievable that it came and arrived in one piece. It was a Panasonic 46-inch Plasma HD television set. Cost $1,149.85 with free shipping. Now, last year, I'm not going to give every year, just focus on last year. And this is a little embarrassing to admit. We placed 110 physical orders on Amazon and 69 digital orders for ebooks and a few streaming movies. I, I c- literally could not believe that number because we have tried. I thought to kind of to to batch our orders on Amazon and and not not order so much. The total spent was approximately $3700, although it was more than that because I'm not counting what my kids spent using their own credit cards. Half of those purchases came out of our household budget and the other half was business expenses and includes $108 I spent last year on Amazon web services where I host audio Pictures and a database for the Money for the Rest of Us Hub website and the Money for the Rest of Us website and the mobile apps. But what in the world could we have bought from Amazon approximately every three days last year? Now, granted, many of those orders were combined, so UPS and FedEx definitely wasn't showing up at our door a hundred times, but it, it still seems beyond excessive. Like, we have a problem in terms of the amount that we are ordering. And, and, and I looked at it. Turns out many of those orders didn't actually show up at our house. Many of them were gifts sent to others. Amazon's very convenient for sending gifts to somebody else. Many of them were orders for my sons down in Utah from their apartment and for my daughter because she left for college and we were getting things ready for her to move away. A lot of those orders from my son was for iPhone LCD screens because for his part-time business where he was fixing iPhones. They also ordered college textbooks, including renting textbooks, which you can now do on Amazon. You rent it, they send it to you, and at the end of the semester, you send it back. Unlike in those early days of the company, most of what we bought from Amazon in 2016 were not books. The sheer variety of goods we bought illustrates how far Amazon has shifted their business away from selling books. For most of last year, we were on our farm in Teton Valley, Idaho. It was a 30-mile round trip to the store. And so ordering from Amazon was was very convenient. We placed one Amazon pantry order that you you order, fill a whole box of grocery items like laundry detergent, paper towels, Old Bay seasoning. A number of things I, I really did try to buy local. An example, we had a geothermal furnace at our farm, and it it had a, an unusual furnace filter. It was like two inches by thirty inches. And I went to a local, in fact, the the outfit that actually installed the furnace to get the furnace filters. And he walked around the, the warehouse and I have to special order them. And, and literally, he took a sticky note and he stuck it on his computer. About a month later, I just showed up at the store to check on it, and we walked all around the warehouse looking for these filters. And, and then he went back to his computer and the sticky note was still there. And it was that point I ordered it from Amazon. I tried buying a Weber grill. We had a family reunion last year and I went to the local store. Just wanted a 20 inch basic Weber grill. Went to the hardware store. They didn't have it. I ordered it from Amazon. 
We ordered a lot of dog food from Amazon last year, specialty dog food. And many of the items we ordered were so specialized, it wasn't even worth the drive to perhaps Idaho Falls, which is about an 80-mile round trip, to figure out, actually more than that, about 90 miles to see if you could find it. This was specialty items, like a beard brush, specialty recording equipment, like the cloud lifter I now use to record my show, out-of-print used books, a map of Oaxaca and Mexico, and my son ordered Korean keyboard stickers so he can type in Korea or type in Korean. So there were I, there were three things. I, of all those orders, there were three things I ordered that were kind of fun items. I ordered an Echo Dot on Black Friday. I ordered a pair of binoculars because my binoculars were about 15 years old. And I ordered some, some I think you said Taza chocolate. So we're going to do better this year. In fact, we have done better. And we've ordered very few things from Amazon so far this year, at least in our household. Of course, we've been traveling main thing was dog food. But the U.S. Census Bureau estimates U.S. e-commerce sales were $395 billion in 2016. And that accounted for 8.1% of total U.S. retail sales. And, and U.S. e-commerce sales increased 15.1% in 2016, while overall retail sales increased only 2.9%. Slice Intelligence is a market analyst firm They looked at 4 million online purchases in 2016 and estimate 43% of all online retail sales went through Amazon in 2016 compared to 33% in 2015. Amazon's annual sales were $136 billion in 2016 and at a profit of about $2.4 billion. They they comprised about 4% of all U.S. sales were were through Amazon. Now, they're publicly traded, and their stock is selling for $850 per share. I did a Facebook Live session the other day, and Mark commented that he, that he had bought the stock. He took a position a few months ago, he says. He's typically an index fund investor, and he says, I think that dog, Amazon, has plenty of room left to run. He mentions the decline in brick and mortar retail shows no sign of slowing down anytime soon. Just look at the last few years of Sears, Macy's, and Pennies. All that business is going to Amazon. And he's actually correct. When you look at department stores over the past year have lost 6%, their sales were down 6%. Whereas online sales, as we mentioned, were up 15%. The correlation to the, the, the extent that the sales in department stores versus online stores is actually a negative correlation. The five-year correlation, how they move, which means over the last five years, department stores continue to have negative sales growth or basically sales decline while online retail is picking up. So, so Mark is looking at this and saying, this, this is going to continue, this trend. And I, I agree with him. It's going to it's going to continue. The question is, at $850 per share, Amazon is the most expensive stock in the world as measured by the price-to-earnings ratio. So that's the price divided by the earnings, the P.E. It was 176 based on 2016 earnings and 113 based on its expected earnings for 
2017. Now, that compares to the overall U.S. stock market. As measured by the S&P 500 index, it has a P.E. of 24.3 based on trailing 12-month earnings. And that's considered expensive. Its, its average P.E. over the past 15 years is 19.5. Now, despite that, how, that high valuation, that P.E. of 170, Amazon stock has done very, very well. It's appreciated over 170% since 2015. As of the end of February, Amazon was the third most valuable company in the world based on its float-adjusted market capitalization. And so that's, that's basically the number of shares outstanding, not held by management and strategic corporate investors. And by other methodologies, it's the fifth largest company in the world. Now, the question is, can it grow fast enough to justify that stock valuation? Morgan Stanley estimates Amazon will grow its revenue by 16% annualized from 2016 to 2025. And that was according to a recent article in The Economist. And that same piece pointed out that Credit Suisse, another investment bank, calculated only 10 firms with annual sales greater than $50 billion have been able to grow by an average of 15% or more for 10 straight years. And none with sales more than $100 billion. And, and re- recall that Amazon has sailed revenue of $136 billion last year. The Economist writes, if Amazon were to pull it off, it would be the most aggressive expansion of a giant company in the history of modern business. So, an, so Mark, he bought Amazon. He's usually an index investor. It's tempting to buy it. He's making a very specific wager when he buys that. It's not enough that, that you're sort of predicting that Amazon's revenue and earnings growth will exceed the expectations already reflected into the stock at 100 times earnings. In other words, for Amazon to perform better than an investment in the S&P 500 index fund, which I assume maybe Mark holds, Amazon needs to exceed the earnings and revenue growth numbers already priced in. It's not enough to grow faster than the overall market. It has to, it has to blow out what everybody already thinks it's going to do because if it falls short of expectations, it will disappoint investors and the stock will, will fall. Now, Mark's a buy and hold investor and he, he's taken a, a very specific wager, which is fine. I'm sure it's a very small part of his portfolio. But that's that's what happens when we buy these these high growth companies, these high growth stocks. And in this case, a very, very large third biggest company in the world the expectation is it's going to do better than 15% growth, and it's just going to, to continue to, to, to do very, very well. And, and hopefully, well, not hopefully, maybe it will. We'll see. But here's the thing. If you're an index investor, if you have exposure to the S&P 500 index fund or an ETF, or even an index fund or ETF that tracks the global stock market as measured by the MSCI All Country World Index, you have a significant stake relative to the other holdings in Amazon. For example, Amazon makes up 1.7% of the S&P 500 index and about 0.8% of the MSCI All Country World Index. So not huge, but a 2% position in Amazon that you probably didn't even think that you had if you happened to hold the S&P 500. And now you also have exposure to, to Macy's, which announced they were closing 63 stores, Sears, announced they were closing 150 stores, limited 250 stores, and on and on. JCPenney's closing 140 stores. So if Amazon 
does very well. If you're an index investor, you'll participate, but you're also hold in smaller percentages, of course, other retailers. There's a huge change that has happened and is happening in, in retail. We're going to talk about that in a second. Before I do that, let me introduce a new sponsor to the show. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Came across an article on the retail industry on Bloomberg, an article by Nick Turner. That'll be in the show notes, or if you sign up for my weekly insider's guide, you have gotten those show notes as well as a summary article and other valuable content. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.net, soon to be moneyfortherestofus.com. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. So the article was quoting Richard Hain. He's the CEO of Urban Outfitters, which actually runs one, a pretty fascinating store called Anthropology that I, I like because I just like how it's displayed. In fact, we were there walking through the Chandler Fashion Center in Arizona, near, in the Phoenix area, the other day. And Anthropology, I don't know if it's all their stores, but certainly this store, somebody had built an entire coral reef out of paper and straws. The worker said it took them two months. It was fascinating work of paper. But 
the the CEO says the U.S. market is oversaturated with retail space. In fact, the article referenced that that it's a bubble and it's burst, just like the housing bubble. He says it's it's oversaturated. Much of that retail space, or f- far too much of that retail space, is occupied by stores selling apparel. Retail square feet per capita in the United States is more than six times that of Europe or Japan. He says. And much of that square footage was added in the 90s and early 2000s with thousands of stores opening. This created a bubble. And like housing, that bubble has now burst. We are seeing the results. Doors shuttering and rents retreating. This trend will continue for the foreseeable future and may even accelerate. And you're showing that in the numbers. I've mentioned the fact that department store sales have been down for a number of years in a row, and you, and you drive around Phoenix, and it's hard to tell one retail center from the other. And and certainly something that that I'm doing when you look at some of these these crowdfunding real estate sites, oftentimes the the projects are retail oriented projects, or or they're seating in some type of retail center. I I won't participate because there is there is a glut of retail. I have an architect friend who has gotten a number of projects turning defunct retail centers or stores into churches. It's, that's, that's an expertise because there's a lot of empty space. Yet here we have Amazon, largest online retailer, just opened its fifth physical bookstore in Chicago and has plans for five more locations. Just today on the news, they, they announced Amazon Fresh Pickup. Their stores in Seattle where you order online then you can go to the store to the pickup store and get the food. They also run a number of small convenience stores called, or there might even be a big like grocery store. I've not seen one called Amazon Fresh. They're looking to open Amazon Go, which is a convenience store where you don't have to go to a cash register. Just use this technology. Although I saw today that they that that's not going to open like it was supposed to this month because they still have some glitches. But it's not that retail is going to go away. But the the mix always shifts. Here's another fascinating thing about Amazon that takes place on this site. We have thousands of thousands of third-party realtors, vendors competing with Amazon. And, and what do they compete with in terms of deciding a product? It's price. Here's an article by in the Wall Street Journal by Christopher Mims. He quotes the CEO the, or the founder and yeah, CEO of Marketplace Pulse. They're a business intelligence firm. I won't Give you the name of the founder and CEO because it's just it's too long. I'll, I will absolutely butcher it. But he talks about how Amazon's retail business is like this massive slowed down stocks ex- exchange. So you get the, the the Wall Street Journal article talks about the usual market dynamics where you have sellers entering and leaving the market, temporary scarcity when someone runs out of stock or a manufacturer falls behind, and sellers testing consumers each and each other with high and low. Prices and I saw this. I looked up. There's a website called Kepa K E E P A. I looked up the Gillette Fusion Pro Glide Razor Blade Refill 12 Pack because I sometimes have to shave, and it galls me how expensive refills are for razor blades. And you get on there and you can see the price of this 12 pack over time. Right now, Amazon's Prime forty dollars and thirty three cents for this 12 pack. Can you imagine that almost four bucks per blade? The cheapest on there was thirty five ninety nine with free shipping by some outfit called Payless Center, 
But that price, you can look at over a price trend. It was as low as $32 on February 25th by a third-party vendor. Amazon had that same 12-pack for $32.83. By March 5th, it had soared to $44.97 for Amazon, and third-party lowest was $42.49. All over the place, and, and the products, as they compete with oftentimes algorithms competing to figure out the price. And so Amazon isn't always the cheapest price. You kind of have to check to make sure. Now, one of the things I thought about with 110 orders, way, way too many for me, we're going to fix that, is it's the impact on global warming. Is it better to buy online or buy at a retail store? And it it really depends. It really depends. In my case, if we're 30 miles round trip to a to a store, then you kind of have to look at the fuel per package. In other words, if I drive to the store to buy a grill and... I use so much gasoline to do that. Whereas if the UPS UPS driver has a whole truckload of packages, the amount of fuel, which there's a direct link between fuel usage and global warming, that the fuel per package is going to be less. But it depends. There's an article I'll link to, again, in the show notes. It'll be in the free weekly insider's guide by Colonel, where they talk about all the different criteria. So you kind of have to make your own judgment. How far are you from the store? How many items do you buy on one trip? Are you already downtown or in the area where you have stores and so you can combine it? There it probably makes more sense than ordering it separately uh, online. What's the shipping method? Using Amazon Prime, if it involves airplanes, is going to use way more fuel than if you use a slower shipping method. And, and we're going to take the trip anyway. When, you look, when they look at some of these studies, if, they were gonna, if they're already out or if you're ordering online, Yet your tail's taking as many trips in the car, then in that case, it contributes to global warming. Final thing I want to talk about is, well, what if you don't want 2% exposure to Amazon in terms of the S&P 500? And and we've had a a lot of discussion on on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub uh, regarding different smart beta, other methods of, of indexing, and you could equal weight, so you could buy an equal weighted S&P 500 or an equal weighted Russell 1000, which is top 1000 companies in the U.S. So instead of a 2% position, you have about a 0.25 weight position in, in Amazon. But what, have, what we have found with, with equal weight it indices where every stock, instead of it being the particular index being weighted by size, so market capitalization, it's just everything's weighted equally. They haven't done so great. So I'm just looking at the Russell 1000 equal weight. This, this is, looks like a PowerShares ETF. It's, it's returned annualized 11.3%. Actually, to, well, that's the volatility. I'm sorry. Yeah. Annualized 13, we're at 13.2% annualized return versus 13.9% for the Russell 1000. So that's the five years. It's lagged. Global stocks the same way. So the global stocks have, in terms of equal weighted over the 10-year, have returned 4.47% versus 4.64% annualized for the, so the MSCI all-country equal weighted versus the MSCI all-country world index. And it, it has higher volatility. So it's done worse. It's had higher volatility. What you find with equal weighted indices 
is they do better when, as you would imagine, smaller average size companies are, are doing better. When, when mega cap or larger companies are doing better, that's when those indices do the best. And we've been in a, a prolonged period where the smaller size companies have not done as well or as, as some of the, the biggest companies. So that's something to consider. I don't, I don't use equal weighted because not only that, but the turnover is higher. So the potential tax consequence of using equal weight. I think a better approach, if you don't want that much exposure to Amazon, is to do fundamental indexing. And fundamental indexing, this was developed by research affiliates, Rob Arnott. And in their case, the, instead of weighting a particular index fund by its size, market capitalization, they'll use other measures such as revenue and and book value and other metrics. And so by that measure, Amazon in the the RAFI, the the RAFI fundamental index, it's only a a 0.28% weight. And fundamental indexing is actually outperformed capitalization weighted index. So the FTSE RAFI US 1000 index for the 10 years has returned 8.4% versus 7.69%. These are annualized for, for the Russell 1000 index. Now, but even with fundamental indexing, right, this is not equal weight. And so there's going to be a company that's the largest weight. In this case, Exxon makes out 2.86% of the RAFI 1000. Apple's about 2.1%. Fundamental indexing has more of a value bias, which is one reason I like it, because over the long term, it has actually delivered and, and you're not just taking a big capitalization-weighted bet with the most expensive stocks in the world. Exxon is going to be a cheaper company on a valuation basis than, than Amazon. And so the value bias, and there's a lot of back and forth between research affiliates and other academics in terms as well, is all fundamental indexing really just a value index? And... Arnott says, no, it's just a different way of weighting an index, and it has delivered value over time, and it's a way to not have such a high exposure to Amazon if, for whatever reason, you're not comfortable with buying a stock or having a a larger percentage in a stock that has a P.E. of 170 times trailing 12 months earnings. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only, not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.